with Young Life. Um, some of you guys may have a lot of exposure with Young Life. Some of you might have heard that word for the first time today. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea um, of what we do with Young Life. That video was made by a friend of mine, uh, Ryan. He lives in the northeast neighborhoods of Seattle, and he gets to do what I do um, in that area with Young Life. He's an area director up there as well. Um, so that's a little glimpse of that. Um, my name is Mason Keller. I've met some of you guys here and there and around the community, but plenty of you guys I have not. And um, you guys already got to meet my wife, Trisha, here and my little boy, Jameson. Hopefully he will hold it together for the whole time here, but at five and a half months, we'll see how that goes. Um, so one of the first things I wanted to say to you guys, many of you may know this, but I wanted to say thank you so much for the space. Um, Young Life is currently using uh, some space out in the ministry house, uh, out in your guys' parking lot, as our office, and that has been a huge blessing to us as we met with your guys' board and kind of looked at what the options were there and were able to find a space out there to be able to function as our office. Um, and we're able to do that rent-free from you guys, which is a huge blessing to us. So thank you so much for that. Um, otherwise, we're spending hundreds of dollars each month um, renting out a space downtown. And that's a huge blessing to us um, rather than us looking for a new space that um, we'd be paying for and would be taking ministry dollars um, rather than just being able to pour that into kids um, in our community. So thank you so much for that. Um, so what we do in Young Life, what we are, is we are a um, non-denominational ministry. So we sit outside of the umbrella of any specific church. And we do what I like to call incarnational ministry. And the idea behind incarnational ministry is that just like Jesus was God incarnated, and he came and he lived here on earth with people, we as Young Life leaders um, are incarnated as we walk alongside of high school and middle school students in their lives. Um, so we go where kids are at. Uh, we have volunteer Young Life leaders in the area. Um, there are about 30 Young Life leaders that are adults who go and spend time where middle school and high school students hang out. Um, we hang out in their neighborhoods. We go where they're at um, because we think that they're important. And we believe that when we go and we love kids well and we care for them and we notice them and we remember their names, um, that it glorifies God whether they ever come to know who Jesus is or not. That we've been called to go where they're at, um, to step out of our comfort zones and step into their world. And we believe that they are very, very important, uh, not only to us in young life, but to God. And so we go where kids are at and we spend time with them. Um, and the way that we really structure our ministry is around those relationships, around young life leaders getting to know kids in the middle schools and high schools. Um, and then when we do have meetings, when we have opportunities to invite them in to come to Young Life or to go to camp with us, we structure uh, the way that we talk about Jesus and the way that we do things in Young Life around where kids are at today. Um, we, we sing songs that kids know, um, ones that they hear on the radio, not just on Air One on the radio, songs that kids are listening to because we want them to show up at Young Life Club and go, this was made for me. This was designed for me. I'm supposed to be here. And so we talk to kids where they're at. Um, when we open up the Bible and we read to them, we explain stuff to them. When, when you tell a kid who hasn't spent any time in the church the word disciple, they're like, what in the world is that? And so we break it down for them. And we say, hey, Jesus had these guys that followed him around. They were his disciples. So Jesus and his buddies, they got in a boat. 
Um, and we break that down for kids so that they can really understand it in their own language. And we talk to them where they're at. Um, so that's a little bit about Young Life. I'm going to keep talking a little bit about Young Life as we go through this, but I want to go ahead. Oh, oops, I realize I have a pointer here so I can move this little thing up here. These are some kids that we got to do um, life with. We got to do Young Life with. Uh, throughout this last year. This is our high school camp trip from Lewis County. Um, so we took all of these kids down to a Young Life camp in Oregon and got to spend a week with them. Um, this is just a fraction of the number of the kids that we are spending life with. These are the ones that got on a bus and went to Young Life camp with us, but our Young Life leaders are out in the world of kids doing life um, with a lot larger group than this. And these are a few of the kids that we got to spend uh, a month with this summer, as well as there's another picture with middle schoolers that we don't have um, up here. So these are a few of those kids. We're going to go ahead and jump in, though, now to Luke chapter 10. Um, so if you have a Bible with you, you can flip to that. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen here. Um, but Luke chapter 10, verse 25, um, the title for the story that we're going to be taking a look at here, uh, this account, uh, lots of people would call it the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to jump right into this and take a look at what's going on here with Jesus. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And now, guys, I think lots of times we get pretty judgmental of the expert in the law right here. Because he stands up to test Jesus. And to lots of us, that is like this giant, how dare you stand up and test Jesus? I'm going to give the guy a little bit of slack here because I'm just saying, if someone walks into this church and they start telling you guys that they're God, that if you tore their body down, they'd raise it again in three days, um, and that they're going to ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father, someone please ask them a question, okay? Don't just be like, yeah, sweet, we're in. Um, I think that someone should probably test uh, said person who walks in here. So that's what's going on with Jesus here. Jesus has done and claimed some amazing things. This guy's kind of testing it out and seeing what Jesus has to say. So the question that this guy asks is a fairly common question. It's one that um, lots of times I think people would ask back in Jesus' day to say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think lots of times we might ask a question that's similar nowadays that looks more like, what is life all about? Or um, wh why are we here? What, what is it that we're doing with this life? Um, so this man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We see Jesus kind of turns this back around at him. This man was the expert in the law, and so he asks him, hey, what's written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? Now, now the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, what's written in the law? And this guy, I think he gives a great answer. He quotes out of Deuteronomy and then out of Leviticus. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, yeah, I would say that this is about as good of an answer as he could have given. Uh, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus gives this exact answer when someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that would sum up what's written in the Law and the Prophets in a majority of what we would call the Old Testament now. So I think this guy, he gives a pretty good answer to this question. Um, and Jesus likes the, likes the answer as well. Um, 
he thinks it's a, it's a pretty good answer to the question. So he responds um, by saying here, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And now guys, um, he asked about inheriting eternal life. So I think when Jesus says, do this and you will live, he's kind of answering that question. That if you do this, you would inherit eternal life. But I think Jesus means more than that when he says, do this and you will live. Um, I think when he says live there, uh, I like to think that he's talking about um, kind of this John 10.10 live. That Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And I think that what Jesus is saying here is if you were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that you're going to live life the way it was designed to be lived, the way that he intended it, and that you are going to have full, real life. Um, You're not just going to inherit eternal life with God. While you're here on earth, he's saying you would have full real life, life to the fullest, the way that we were designed to live it. Um, So I think that's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, do this and you will live. Now, the, the man has something else to say here, and I'm guessing that's because when Jesus says, do this and you will live, something might stir up in this guy who was asking the question that was like, okay, he said do this, but I don't know if I'm like completely doing this, or if I'm doing all of this, or if I'm doing this to all of the right people. Um, do this and you will live. And I think he's kind of wondering, where do I stand there? Am I doing this? Am I loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And am I loving my neighbors myself? And so it says that he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Um, And I, again, I think we get pretty judgmental at the expert in the law right here, and we're like, oh, he wanted to justify himself in front of Jesus. I can promise that I do things like this plenty in my life. I'm guessing I'm not the only person in the room who does them either. But he's feeling like, hey, where do I sit with this? Where's the bar, Jesus? And probably he's hoping that he's already met it. He's kind of hoping, hey, Jesus is going to set the bar right here. I'm already good and I'm taken care of. So Jesus jumps in um, to what we would call a parable right here. So the story that Jesus is going to tell here, it's not, this didn't actually happen. Um, It always feels funny when I'm like, it's written in the Bible. This didn't actually happen. Jesus made it up. And so I think that means that there's a lot of value in what was said here because Jesus created this story to say something. He created this parable. Kind of like any of you guys ever read fables to your kids? Like I read books to my five-month-old. I know he doesn't really know what's going on. But, you know, you read the three little pigs and you kind of see it coming. It's like, oh, he built his house out of straw. This isn't going to end well for this little pig. Um, There's a moral to this story. And that's what we get to take a look at here um, as Jesus jumps into this parable. Um, So Jesus, uh, he dives in here and he replies. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So we have this situation where, and this was a normal situation. Jesus uh, created this story to say something, but it was pretty normal that people would be traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the road was kind of dangerous. People knew that people were traveling along the road, and so lots of times there'd be robbers that would wait there, they'd jump people, they'd take all your stuff, and they'd leave you there half dead. Um, So this genuinely did happen at times in history, and 
we see Jesus talking about this guy. So he's painting this picture of this man now on the side of the road, beaten, um, I don't know what half dead looks like, but I'm guessing that he's bleeding. He's not capable of moving himself out of that situation. He's broken down there on the side of the road, bloodied and beaten. And that's where we see someone walks along. Um, It says, a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side of the road. So priest and a Levite, I, when I was growing up, I probably saw this story a whole bunch of times. And when I saw it, it was like, oh, a priest walked by. Cool. I don't know if I've ever met any priest. I don't know what a priest is. And then a Levite. I really don't know what one of those is. Um, so Jesus didn't just pick these uh, characters in the story at random. The priest would have been in this day and age uh, with the Jewish culture. He would have been someone who was pretty well respected. They functioned in the sacrificial system. So the priests were the one who would sacrifice uh, animals to God. So when people felt like they had sinned against God, they'd turn their back on God, they'd bring the priest a sheep or something, he would sacrifice it for them. And the priest had some sort of connection with God that made it so they were able to sacrifice these animals and it would, it would pay for the sin. And that's how their system was set up. And the Levites were a part of the sacrificial system too. The Levites didn't actually make the sacrifices, but they like, I don't know, it sounds like they prepared the stuff. I don't know what that looks like. If they were like stacking the wood to burn something up on, or I don't know, they sharpened the knives. But the Levites were a part of this sacrificial system as well. So a priest and a Levite come along. They're kind of high-ranking Jewish people. And they don't respond the way that we would hope they would. They actually cross to the other side of the street, and they walk over here to kind of keep their distance from him. Um, And you guys have heard other fables or parables before, stories that have a moral. And so at this point in the story, I'm guessing that everyone who is listening to this, when Jesus is talking, they're like, okay, we see this coming. Someone else is going to walk down the road, and they're going to do better than the priest and the Levite did. Um, And to answer who's my neighbor, I think it would be pretty logical that uh, it would be like a humble Jewish person that walks down the street and then they help him. And I think that most people were expecting that. They were expecting a humble Jewish person, uh, just like all the people who they went to the synagogue every week, they read their Bible once a week, they even went to home group, a humble Jewish person to walk along and they're going to be the one that stops and helps them. Um, And instead, we get to see who Jesus paints into this picture. He says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This is not random that Jesus just chose a Samaritan for this. Uh, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They weren't really allowed to associate with each other. They didn't really talk to each other. Um, Jews actually didn't believe that Samaritans were capable of righteousness or knowing God or being saved or whatever term you want to use for that. Jews didn't think Samaritans were capable of that. And now all of a sudden, Jesus starts painting this weird picture up here of a man broken down, beaten on the side of the road, and a Samaritan, someone who the Jews wouldn't have even thought was capable of, of knowing God, coming along, and now he's the one who's living out this, the greatest commandment, living out to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, this would have been a shock when Jesus all of a sudden said a Samaritan came along and helped. And I think it would have answered the question of who's my neighbor 
if the beaten, broken down guy would have been a Samaritan, and the person who walked along would have been a Jewish person, and they would have realized, hey, even the Samaritans, who I can't stand, I don't even want to look at, I don't want to spend any time with them, they've messed everything up, even them, they're my neighbors, and I'm supposed to stop and help them. But I think it takes it another step, when instead the picture that Jesus is painting here is of the Samaritan, he's being the hero. This person who is beaten, and I mean, broken down here is being helped by the Samaritan, who the Jews were like, they're really messed up, the Samaritans are. Um, and I think it opens this door up. Uh, back when Jesus was saying this, most Jews believed that uh, really G- God was going to come and he was going to save the Jews. That's what he thought. Um, that's what all the Jews thought. They thought he was going to come and he was going to rise up with his people and save them. And this starts to open that door a little bit. Um, and he paints this Samaritan in there living out the greatest commandment. And I think people start to see like, what is Jesus saying that like the Samaritan might, might be able to know God and live that out? Um, and it opens the door up for kids like the kids that I get to work with in Young Life. Um, kids who most people look at and go, yeah, no, like, wow. Um, they are way out there. It feels like the decisions that they're making, they're not like even in the same ballpark of like living out this, this story. They're not even close to that. Um, they're, I mean, they're making all sorts of bad decisions that I'm not going to throw out up here on the stage because some of you would be like, oh gosh, I don't even want to look at that. Um, and it starts to open this door up for people that um, maybe Jesus isn't just going to save the Jews. Maybe he isn't just going to save the priest and the Levite. Maybe he's going to save the beaten down and the broken and the farthest out. Um, and maybe he's even going to start with those people. Um, and we get to see Jesus start to open that door up right here as he paints this Samaritan into this picture. Now, why doesn't Jesus stop telling the parable right now? He answered the question, it's like, Samaritan, who's my neighbor? Even the Samaritans, that would have stretched who this guy's neighbor was to the limit. So why doesn't he quit telling the story right now and just end it? Um, Because I think that Jesus wasn't just going to answer who my neighbor is. He was going to answer how it is that we're called to love our neighbor. So we get to see as Jesus continues in this story. He says that this Samaritan, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So when Jesus continues to paint this picture, he shows how it is that we're called to love our neighbor. Not just who, but how. And I'm just saying, that story for me feels like way, way, way over the top. Does anyone else feel that at all? Like, if I try to put this into my own context and think about what it would look like to do what the Samaritan did right here uh, in my life, if I, if I made it really literal and it was like I'm actually walking along the sidewalk and I see someone who's beaten down and bloody, probably if I see someone beaten down and bloody, I'm picking my phone up and I'm calling 911. And I might, if I'm feeling really good, I might walk over there and be like, hey, how are you doing? Are, are you breathing? Okay, they're breathing, and I'm on 911, but honestly, I'm, I might not touch this person because they're bleeding, and it's like, well, that's kind of gross, and it might get really messy, and 
it could potentially even be dangerous for me, right? Like, I don't know, this person might have some sort of disease. I'm going to touch them. That could be really dangerous for me. So I'm probably calling 911, and that's like the end of my story. And maybe I go up there, and I check, and I wait. If I'm feeling really good, maybe when the ambulance shows up, I get in the ambulance, and I go with them. I'm like, I'm going to scrap the rest of my day, and I'm going to go to the hospital with this person. But this guy goes way, way, way further. It's like he gets there and he says, wow, this guy's beaten down and he's broken. I'm going to, I don't know, I don't carry bandages on me. Maybe he like tore off part of his shirt. And he's bandaging this guy and he takes the oil and the wine that he has and he, he heals him. He puts on everything that he's got. He pours out everything that he has to try and help heal this person. And then he realizes, hey, the ambulance is going to take too long. So I'm just going to put this guy in my car and we're going to drive to the hospital. And he's, he's bloody. He's like getting blood on my passenger seat. This is really, really bad, but he's, he's bleeding, it's messy, he's in my car now, I drive him to the hospital, and then, um, so, I mean, he sat on his own donkey, it said right there, it would be even more than that, it'd be more like if I put the guy in my car, and then said, hey, you can drive to the hospital, I'll walk behind you, because I'm guessing this guy only had one donkey, he put the broken down guy on his donkey, and then he walked beside it, he didn't get to ride an extra donkey to the hospital. Um, this is all another made-up story of my own now. So he's, he's driving to the hospital. They get to the hospital, and then it says that when he gets there, it's like he said, hey, no, 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 you don't need his insurance information. You just need my credit card. I'm going to pay for all of this. Um, the, I can't pay for any of your guys' hospital bills. That would severely disadvantage me, right? But this guy does it. He's like, hey, I'm going to pay for all of this. And then it says that he stayed and he cared for him. Um, I don't know what that looks like now. Maybe he ran and he got some ice chips for him and fluffed his pillow. He turned the TV onto the channel that this guy wanted to watch instead of the channel that I wanted to watch. Um, He's like, oh, you want a popsicle? I'll go get a popsicle for you. Um, He stayed there and he cared for him. Um, And then when it became time that he had to leave, he left, but he said, hey, don't worry about any of the expenses, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to check on you again. Um, He didn't just leave him there. He said, no, I'm going to come back and I'm going to check on you. So this is I mean, this is way above and beyond. When we see, like, little random acts of kindness, we're like, wow, you really did a good job. Um, Usually they don't look like this, though. They're not to this extent. But for some reason, Jesus paints this extreme of a picture when he's talking about how it is that we would love our neighbor. Um, It's an extravagant love that we see show up here. An extravagant love that we don't see often. This man cares for someone else as if, he was his own, um, and I don't think we see that very often. And so Jesus finishes this story out, um, 36 and 37. It says, he asked the man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, or yeah, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Um, So Jesus doesn't just paint this picture that's over the top of how it is that we are called to love our neighbor. He actually says, go and do likewise. He actually calls us to live this out. I mean, it's fairly specific, go and do likewise. He just says it right there, that we have been asked to go and do likewise, to do what that Samaritan did in this situation. And now, remember, Jesus made this story up. So lots of times, I think, when Jesus makes this story up, we kind of go, cool story, Jesus. Like, that's fun, but I've never seen anyone do this. So why would I be the first person to decide to go and pour all that I have out to love someone else as myself? Um, 
no, no one else is really doing this cool story, Jesus. But what I love about Jesus um, is that he did significantly more than give up some bandages and some oil and some wine and give up his donkey for a few hours and pay a couple of days' worth of wages to put the guy up in the inn and then come back and check on him. Jesus did significantly more than that as he demonstrated his love for us. Um, it says that greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And as we keep reading in this book of Luke, we get to see that Jesus spells that out for all of us as he keeps walking where he is in this story towards Jerusalem, and then he gets there, and he stands up on a cross, and he takes everything for us. He gave significantly more than his donkey to show his love. Um, and we get to respond to that type of love. Uh, we, don't, we aren't called to go and do likewise just because we're good people or because in young life we've got it figured out and we're doing good stuff. Um, it's because Jesus did this first and he poured himself out for us. And we get an opportunity to reflect that love that he showed to us, um, to others. So... Jesus didn't just say, hey, yeah, you guys should go and do what I talked about. He lives this out um, as well as we could ever see it. Um, and we are called to reflect that. So in Young Life, we believe that we're called to reflect this as well. We want to live out um, loving our neighbor as ourself well. We want to love high school and middle school students well. Um, and there are some ways that we do that, and I want to run through with you guys uh, a little bit of a picture of what it looks like for us in young life to love these kids well. Um, the first one, we make sure that we're walking on the same street that they're walking on. Uh, this story wouldn't have ever showed up if Jesus would have been like, and then there was a guy laying on the road, and a Samaritan walked by three blocks down the street, and they never interacted, and we didn't get to see this extravagant love played out in this story. We make sure that as Young Life leaders, we're in the neighborhood of kids. This is why McCoy Gronseth goes and coaches middle school football at Centralia. It's not because he's really excited about leading the, what are the Centralia Middle School? Aren't they like hornets or bees or yellow jackets? It's not that he's so excited to lead the yellow jackets to a 7-0 undefeated season. It's because he wants to be where kids are at, interacting with middle schoolers and spending time with them because he believes that they matter, um, and we believe that we've been called to do that by God. So we're going to be in the neighborhood that kids are in. We're going to spend time around them. And we notice kids while we're there, and we care about their stuff. Um, the Good Samaritan, he walks along and he notices this guy on the side of the street. We notice kids where they're at. Um, and that's something that most kids don't feel that from a ton of adults. They don't feel like there are very many adults in their lives that are walking around paying attention to them. Um, Randon really likes Batman, and I can promise you that McCoy does not love Batman. But McCoy, one of our wildlife leaders, will talk with Randon about Batman because it's important to Randon. So we care about it, and we notice their stuff. And we notice where these kids are at as well. The guy is beaten and broken down on the side of the road. He's hurting. He's in pain. He's missing something. And we notice that kids are missing something. That there's some emptiness inside of them, and they're trying to fill it, and they're trying to figure that out, and we notice that, and we go there with them. And then we offer them the help that they need. Um, I believe that that emptiness that kids have in their lives, I believe the emptiness that all of us have in our lives, is this hole that was designed 
to, to be filled with Christ, that we were intended to live in that relationship with him. We were intended to live that full, real life that we talked about before, and that these kids are missing that. And so we get to walk where they're walking and spend time with them, and we get to point to Jesus with that and say, I'm here to care for you. I'm here to love you. But I believe that who was ultimately sent to fulfill you and to, to make you whole was this man named Jesus Christ. And we get to point kids to him. Um, and when we do that, uh, like it talked about in the story with the Good Samaritan, we don't just leave them there. He didn't just bandage them and take off. We don't just tell kids, hey, you need to know Jesus. See ya. Um, we don't take kids to Young Life Camp with us or invite them in in a one-on-one conversation to consider who Jesus Christ is. We don't talk to them at a, at a club meeting or give them an opportunity to see who Jesus is and then say, hey, you've got it now, and run away. We sit in the middle of that with them. We continue to spend time with them. Um, we pull them up onto our donkey and we walk for a few miles with them. Um, and we talk with them and we care for them. And we go through this struggle of what it looks like to live out a relationship with Christ and what it looks like for them to pursue him. We continue to walk alongside of them. Um, this is why McCoy grabs Randon from across town and they go to Dairy Queen and they hang out and they talk and they eat a blizzard together. Um, because we want to stay with kids and we want to keep having these conversations with them. And when we do get an opportunity to invite kids into a Young Life meeting on a night or we're going to take them to camp, we make sure that we design the setting that they're going to sit in for them. We make sure that when they get there, they're going to feel comfortable and welcome and like, this was made for me. We use words that they understand. Um, we talk to where they're at. And we approach kids on their turf um, rather than asking them just to come to us. This is why we go to kids. I believe that there are lots of kids that look at a building like this one that we're all sitting in right now, and they go, yeah, no, that's not my thing. Um, maybe they've never been in a church. Maybe they've never been to a building like this. Or maybe they have before, and it didn't go quite right, or they heard something that they felt like, I don't know, and no one really got to explain it to them. And so we want to go to those kids um, and approach them on their turf rather than just saying, hey, we're hanging out in the church. It's a great place. We're having fun. There's good coffee. We're warm and welcoming, and you could come to us. We want to go to them. Um, and guys, all of this is a reflection of that extravagant love that we've seen that Jesus poured out for us. Um, he poured everything that he had out on the altar of the cross for us. Um, and I believe that we have been called to go and do likewise. We've been called to love our neighbor as ourself well and to pour our lives out um, that other people might be able to see this love that Jesus has extended to us. Um, and that's a reflection. It's not that we are so good or we have it all figured out, that we just pour out who we are um, because we believe that Jesus has done so much better um, and that my uh, poor little humble weak life is kind of what I have to offer in response to that. So for those of you guys who, who know and follow after Jesus, I believe that all of us have been called to go and do likewise. We've been called to respond to this, this parable that Jesus talks about. We've been called to walk into the lives of others and pour ourselves out, um, give what it is that we have to love them well. Um, now, for those of you, if you're sitting in this room right now and you're like, yeah, but I don't know this guy Jesus. I don't know why Mason's up here telling me that I need to like 
give away my oil and my wine and my donkey, um, why I'm supposed to give all of this stuff up to someone else, my, I think that what this story might have for you today is not that you're supposed to give up of yourself, but that you're supposed to see how Jesus did that first, um, how he poured all of himself out for you, that you might be able to have relationship with him, um, that he gave everything that he had for you um, right where you're at. But for those of us who do follow after Jesus, who know him and are pursuing him, I believe that we've been called to this. Um, we've been called to give ourselves up. And uh, for me, I, so I like preaching on stuff that isn't easy for me either. It's not like I get to sit up here and go, I'm the Young Life Area Director, and every day I just pour myself out in love for everyone that I interact with, and it's great. Um, that is not what this looks like. I, don't, I think Jesus sets a bar here that we're probably not going to make it to, um, but I sure don't believe that that means that we're just supposed to sit back and go, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, I'm not about that. And so for some of you guys, it might not be young life. It might not be giving yourself up to love high school and middle school students well, but there are people in your lives um, that I think we need to change our mindset on a little bit and how it is that we view interacting with our neighbor. Um, even the, gosh, Samaritan? Like, for us, that doesn't really mean anything. But for lots of you guys, it might be high schoolers. You might look at some of the high schoolers that were in that picture that went to camp with me and go, no, I, I don't care about them. I don't want to talk to them. I mean, I care because, like, I'm a Christian and I care. But I don't, I can't give anything to them. Like, I don't want to talk to that kid. I have kids that I pick up for Young Life Club, um, and I leave my car running when I get out to go and pick up the next kid because I know that no one leaves the car running when this kid is in it because they think he's going to steal their car. And I leave the car running because I'm like, hey, I'm going to trust you with that. Um, I'm going to show you this extravagant love that you don't see very often. Um, worst case scenario, some kid's going to steal my car eventually. But... I, I'm going to give that to them. I'm going to show them this extravagant love. And I think that all of us are called to that. Some of you guys might be called to that with middle school and high school students. Um, all of us who follow after Christ are called to go and do likewise and to show this extravagant love um, that Jesus poured out on us. Um, so that's what I have for you guys today. I, uh, I'm gonna, I think this last slide that I have here is a, let me see, what do I got? Uh, this is our banquet invite. So if you hear a little bit about what it is that I'm talking about with this ministry of Young Life and what we do, uh, Monday, November 14th at 5.30 at WF West, um, dinner starts at 6, and that's when we really get things rolling. That is an opportunity, if you are feeling like, what does it look like to be involved in this thing? Um, what does it look like to really do the work of Young Life? This is a great opportunity for you to be able to see more of that. I can't spell out for you guys today what the, the work of a volunteer Young Life leader looks like as they go where high school and middle school students are at, um, but that would be an opportunity for you to be able to see a little bit more of what that looks like for the um, 30 Young Life leaders and the nine Young Lives mentors that are in the lives of kids um, around the area. Oh, so Young Lives, I threw that word out there then. Um, Young Lives is a ministry that we do specifically for teen moms where we have um, 
we have ladies that are focused on mentoring and spending time with teen moms and being around them and living out what it is that we're talking about here um, in the lives of teen moms. So this is an opportunity if you feel like, hey, I'd love to see more of that. Um, it's at WF West, so none of you are probably going super far to get there. So it's an opportunity to take a look at um, if you're interested in that. Um, but I would encourage all of you guys uh, I think that go and do likewise wasn't just for the expert here. Um, I think it was for each and every one of us that Jesus is encouraging us to show this extravagant kind of love um, that people don't see very often here. Um, and I think it speaks unbelievably loud when we live this out with our lives um, and really pour out who we are. Uh, onto, onto others who might not know who Jesus is as we reflect the, the sacrifice and the love that he has given to us. Um, so I think that the worship band is going to be coming back up, but can I pray for us real quick here before, before they roll up here, um, if that's good with you guys? But Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for each one of the people in this room, and I pray that... Uh, any crummy thing that I may have just said, that that would just disappear and what it is that you had for them um, would stay on their hearts. That uh, you would encourage us in the fact that you have loved us so, so well. Um, and I ask that as we look at how we respond to that love, that we would be able to trust that leaning into you, um, chasing after you, and pouring out all that we have for you is well, well worth it. Um, we pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen.